So Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 says, Then Jesus told His disciples, If anyone would come after Me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow Me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for My sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? For the Son of Man is going to come with His angels in the glory of His Father, and then He will repay each person according to what He has done. Truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in His kingdom. Well, last time I was with you, we were looking at the church and how it is built through selfless disciples. And we saw that as time would unfold... That's exactly what would happen. These apostles that he would send out would be the foundation of the church as God would continue to build his church. And it's continuing, going to continue to be built the same way. It's going to continue to be built through the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's going to continue to be built through selfless disciples uh, ministering. Uh, I want to be that. You want to be that. How do we be that? Well, as we look through this passage, we're going to find that there's three realities that we need to understand. Three realities that you must understand in order to make decisions like the disciples would make from that point on. Or they'd be willing to, to suffer. They'd be willing to be mouthpieces and vocal for Christ. As we look through this passage, the first one that we see is that the cost of following Christ is high. That's an important thing to log away in your mind and to keep refreshing once in a while, whether you're looking at coming to Christ, or whether you've already had Christ in your life for years, in either rate, this is a very important truth to keep in mind. In fact, it's a truth that Jesus brings up a little bit more often than we'd probably like Him to. A lot of times through the Gospels, when you see great crowds coming around Jesus, all of a sudden He starts to talk like this. About the time where we're trying to make it very easy for people to come to Christ, Jesus appears to make it very hard for people to come to Christ. And even his disciples, remember at this point, they've already confessed, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, we're with you. And now Jesus uses this passage, these words, to teach them what exactly they mean by we're with you. And the cost of following Christ is very high. Notice notice what he says. Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, as we look at that, it's pretty simple if you just look at the overall picture. What, what is it saying? If anyone would come after me, what does that mean? To follow, right? So if anybody follows me, now remember that word follows at the end of what he said there. So he says, if anybody would follow me, if anybody's going to come after me, you need to do these things. You need to deny yourself. Well, that makes sense because when we look at Jesus, what did he do? He denied himself. He went to the cross not for his own pleasure, not for his own benefit. He went to the cross for our benefit. For our forgiveness of sins. His regular pattern of life was to deny himself to be a benefit and a blessing to other people and to show the people that he is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And so if we follow Christ, we're going to be denying ourselves. Well, it also says take up your cross. Well, if we take up our cross, Jesus went to the cross. So how can we follow him if we're not taking up a cross in some way? Whatever that means. We'll talk about it in a few minutes. The last line is in follow me. So basically what Jesus is telling them is if you're going to follow me, you got to follow me. In other words, if you're, if you're with me, you got to do what I do. You got to be what I am. You got to, I mean, not that you're the Messiah, the Son of God, but you're, you're going to 
mimic that. You're going to, you know, we were first called Christians because we were like little Christ's. We mimicked, imitated his life. And that's basically what Jesus is saying. If you're going to follow me, you've got to follow me. Colossians chapter 1, verse 24 says, Now I rejoice in my sufferings, this was the Apostle Paul, for your sake. And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church. So the Apostle Paul saw his sufferings that he went through as a, a continuation of the sufferings of Christ, not in a redemptive way. The Bible's very clear there that the sacrifice of Christ was a once for all sacrifice, completely sufficient to take away the sins of the world. So how is the Apostle Paul's suffering a continuation of Christ's sufferings? It's because the Apostle Paul would undergo a lot of suffering for proclaiming the gospel. Jesus Christ laying down His life on the cross provided the gospel. People like the Apostle Paul were providing the, the spread of the gospel. Second Timothy chapter 1, and verse 8, it says, Therefore do not be ashamed. This is the Apostle Paul then turning to Timothy and telling him not to be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, His prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So the Apostle Paul not only spent his own life willing to endure suffering, carrying his cross, but he encouraged young Timothy to carry his cross as well, to be willing to endure the same kind of suffering which the Apostle Paul has been enduring. And by the way, the Apostle Paul sitting in prison when he writes this. He's telling Timothy, do the same thing I've been doing. Be willing to suffer. Be willing to carry that cross. In fact, Peter, as he would write his epistle to people that were suffering for their faith, in 1 Peter chapter 4, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So that's, that's pointing a little bit farther forward. We're going to get to that in a little bit. But notice what he says. When you, when you start experiencing these sufferings and you're going through struggles and trials, when the fiery trial, people are causing you to suffer because of your faith in Christ? He says, don't think that. That's, that's not strange. It's, it's like what Jesus told His disciples on another occasion. He says, "If they look, if they hang Me on the cross, what are they going to do to you, My follower? If they, the world hated you, it's because they hated Me first. And so when we look at Christ and what He went through as He went to His cross, we should not find it astounding if we end up suffering some of the same things. Now, we have a privilege. Sometimes I struggle at how to apply some of these things to my life because we live in a place that began as a Christian nation. And so suffering as a Christian within a Christian nation is not very great. Now, I would admit that our nation has come a long way from what it started out as. Our children are not taught the ABCs by different Bible verses like they were used to when our nation was brand new. You know, our, our catechisms were not were learned in the public schools in those days. And so we've come a long ways from that. And so there is, if you're bold about your faith, if you will endure some persecution, you might be made fun of. You might be passed over for a position or, or a raise or something like that at work possibly. You might be avoided by people on occasion or the end of a joke, but that's really pretty minimal, isn't it? And so when this was written to the apostles that were all going to pay for it with their life, I actually I struggle finding how does this apply to me? Probably not going to pay for it with my life. Not in this country. Maybe if I go somewhere else. 
But the purpose isn't really to go out there and suffer. The purpose is to be faithful to God. But I also even find myself struggling with that a little bit. You know, because we look at this idea of being willing to give all for Christ. And we need to be willing to give all for Christ. But I find myself questioning my own sincerity. Because I'm a little bit like some release time kids that came to my house one day. One time we'd been teaching. We teach a lot about the gospel in release time. Our main goal is to seek Children come to know Jesus Christ. And I remember one time I had been teaching about the gospel in release time, and I told the kids, I said, you know what, I don't care if it's at church, I don't care if it's in release time, you can see me walking down the sidewalk sometime if you've got a question about God or you want to know for sure that you're going to heaven, you stop me and talk to me. I'll talk to you anywhere, anytime about it. And it was kind of cool. I was, uh, I was sitting in my living room studying for the Wednesday night activities, and there was a knock at my door, and I went and answered the door. It was a little after 3 o'clock, and there were a couple kids and another that were part of our release time and another spare one that was tagging along with them. And they knocked on the door, and I said, Hi, what are you up to? And they said, uh, Well, you said we could talk to you anytime, anywhere. We're wondering if you're busy. We want to know for sure we're going to heaven. And so I invited them in, and we sat in my living room, and I gave them the gospel, and I explained to them what it, what it meant to trust in Jesus, and you got to have the belief in your heart, and you have belief in your heart, and you confess Him with your mouth. And I said, is that where you're at? Do you want Jesus in your life? They said, yeah, I want to go to heaven. And then they were just about to pray, and one of them looked at me and said, well, wait a minute, we're not going today, right? <laughs> and I said, no, you're not going today. Not that I know of anyway. But, you know, in that little childlike faith, there's a hesitancy. I, I, I want it, but not today. Or I question my willingness. Like the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler came to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus gives him a bunch of the, the, the manward side of the Ten Commandments. And the guy says, I've done this from my youth. I'm good. Jesus says, and you lack one thing. He hadn't brought up the God side of the commandments yet. The first four. He says, you lack one thing. Go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. And then come and follow me. And the guy went away sad because he couldn't give it up. And you know what? Jesus isn't right in front of me asking me to give away everything. So I struggle. If I was that rich young ruler, what, how would I have? Would I have walked away to sell everything? Or would I have walked away sad like he did? All the possessions but sorrow. Or he could walk away with nothing and great joy and salvation. And so I question it. Because a lot of times we think, well, we don't have to necessarily give away everything. If God told you to, you'd have to. But we've got to be willing to give everything away. But am I like that just because I know he's probably not going to come and tell me to give everything away? I mean, we, we did it once when we went to Bible college. We sold everything and went to Bible college because we believed that's what God was leading us to do. And so we kind of did get rid of everything at that point. But I even questioned, well, what about today? Would I do it today? But you know what? That's what, the, that's what the apostles were confronted with. They had to leave everything. They left their father's fishing businesses. They left. Matthew left his tax collector's booth. They literally left it all to go and follow Jesus. They were actually step by step behind him. So our following is a little bit different. We're following the principles and we're following him and we're following his teaching and, and we're seeking his direction in our life. But sometimes we have a struggle of same thing within our country. I don't really suffer much in our country. Is it because of me? Is it because I'm not following well enough? Or is it because we just in a, live in a place that's very palatable toward it, that's used to hearing the gospel? But as we look at it, the cost of following Christ is always very high. Well, he does insinuate a couple things as we look at the wording in here. Let's break down the wording a little bit. The first thing that we notice that he insinuates is that it involves sacrifice. I find that in two of those statements. He says, deny yourself, take up your cross. So it's going to involve sacrifice in those two statements. But if I take that statement, take up your cross, and the next statement with it, then I find that it also involves submission because he says, take up your cross, which was an act of submission. In fact, the whole 
point that Rome was trying to make with the cross was that this person that used to rebel against us is now completely in submission under us. And so it was used to motivate other people to not do the same thing that guy did. But Jesus' submission was not really to Rome. It was to the Father. It was to the will of God as he went to the cross to fulfill his Father's will in providing salvation for us. So it involves submission, following. Peter was trying to lead Christ. Christ put him back in a position of following Christ. He said, you're not going to be leading like you're thinking you are. You're going to be, you're going to be sacrificing and you're going to be submitting. You're going to be taking up your cross and following me. You know, in our mind, the cross is pretty unique to Christ. It was not that way for these disciples. There have been a lot of people crucified over the years. As many as 30,000, some people figure, were, were crucified during the empire of Rome. Crucifixion was something that they were pretty familiar with. And Jesus tells them you've got to be willing to pick up your cross. Now, what, is, what does he mean by the cross? Picking up your cross. Picking up your cross, we use that term used rather loosely. It can be when uh, something goes wrong with your car, you're having a bad day at work, or, you know, we use it for a lot of different things sometimes, but that's really not a cross. One, one book I was reading said, a domineering husband, a nagging wife, and undisciplined children are not a cross <laughs> to bear in our life. The thing that's specific about a cross is that it ties us to Christ and His cross. And so it's not every and all suffering that is a cross in our life. It is suffering that is specifically suffering for Christ. That's what is involved in the cross. Following Christ, this price is high. Jesus would often bring that to make that the point. He wanted people to make sure that they meant it when they came to follow him. He didn't want a church full of hypocrites. That wasn't what he was seeking to build. He wanted a church full of genuine believers. And that's why, as we look at other passages like Mark and Luke, and especially Luke, parallel passages to this one, we find Jesus even making it harder for them to become a disciple. In Luke chapter 9, verses 57 and 58, it says, As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. In other words, this guy came up to Christ and said, I'm, I'm ready to follow you. I'm sure he was liking seeing the crowds following him, liking the, the, the notoriety and the prestige. He says, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus says, really? We're sleeping on the ground tonight. And it appears that the guy was lost interest. But right after that, it says to another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Now in the language, it indicates that his father wasn't even dead yet. So it's kind of a hollow excuse that the guy was making. And Jesus says, no, that excuse isn't good enough. You see, see, the point is, in following, you follow, you don't lead. In other words, you're not calling the shots. You don't make those decisions. And then in the next passage, it says, yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Then he said in Luke chapter 14, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, if any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. 
You see, Jesus is making it hard on them. He says, I don't want any half-hearted followers. I want you to either follow or you don't. And I want you to know right up front, it's going to be difficult. You're going to have to pick up your cross and follow me. It's going to involve probably some suffering. There's a price that's paid as a disciple of mine. And he says, I don't want you to jump into it all in the, in the excitement of the moment and then fade off. Remember the parable that we learned back in Matthew 13 about the seed that fell on the different kinds of soil? One soil sprang up quickly, but then withered away. Other was choked out. Other fell along the, the path and the birds took it away. Jesus says, I don't want you to be like that person that sprang up, looked like they're all excited about their faith and find out they didn't have faith at all and fell away. He says, just like a king that's going to war says, can I beat their 20,000 with my 10,000? Or maybe I better stay home. Or just like the guy that's going to build a tower, does my budget work? Do I have enough money to build that tower? Or am I going to get it halfway up and it's going to be a monument to my foolishness for all time? Jesus says, that's what I want you to think about. If you're going to follow me, you've got to deny yourself. You've got to renounce yourself. The call to discipleship is a selfless life. And that's a... We need to understand that. If we, don't, if we don't recognize that that's what we're into, it affects our life. We'll live a life of emptiness. We'll live a life that's shallow. We'll live a life that's not a true life of discipleship. If we're contemplating coming to Christ, we need to know. Otherwise, you might be a flash in the pan, kind of excitement one moment, and then you're back to your old life before you know it. No real faith really at all. So Jesus makes it very clear that the cost of discipleship is high. The next point that he makes, though, this just kind of logically unfolds here. The next point that he makes is that the cost of not following Christ is higher. You see, everybody has a decision to make. Am I going to put my faith in Christ? Am I going to trust Him? Am I going to follow Him or not? And Jesus recognizes that He's demanding a lot. He is God. He has a right to demand a lot. So the cost of following Him is high, but the cost of not following Him is even higher. Look at the passage that we read. Verse 25, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his life? Or what shall a man give in return for his life? And this is all pointed off into the future because the next verse, verse 27, says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. So it's looking to the judgment time at the end of this age. But Christ is, just kind of leads us through a little bit of understanding, a little bit of thinking. He's given us some logic here. He's saying, look, to follow me, you've got to lose your life. But you know what? If you lose your life the way I'm talking about, you find it. If you try to keep your life, you lose it. In other words, if you don't follow Christ, if you don't denounce who you are and follow Him, then you lose your life. And He's looking forward to the end times. we got a 70, 80 years on this earth, maybe. 90, 100, if we do really well. For some of us, 20, 30, 40. You know, none of us knows what's going to happen. But then we have all of eternity. And that is your life also. Your life, if you trust in Christ, continues beyond this into eternal life, which goes on forever. Now let me ask you, which part of your life is more important? Which of your life is greater in duration? Which of your life is going to be more enjoyable? Outside of Christ, we spend eternity in hell, in horror, agony. And Jesus is just simply leading us through a process where we recognize, you know what? The cost of following Christ is great, it's high, but the cost of not following Christ is greater still. He said, what will a man give for his life? What if, what if somebody gains the whole world, right? So picture that. If you can have this life right now that you're in, if you can have, I don't know who the richest is anymore. Is Bill Gates the richest? I don't know. Let's say rich enough anyway, right? 
take all Bill Gates's money. If you can have all Bill Gates's money and live however you want to live. You can afford every toy. You can afford every trip you ever wanted to go on. You can afford to feel good about yourself by helping some other people along the way. Um, you, you can afford uh, the nicest house and houses in the nicest places around the world. Um, you don't have to spend a day doing anything that you don't want to, at least money-wise. You can afford to do that. You're still going to get sick and all those kinds of things. But he said, is it worth that? If you have all of that and then an eternity in hell, or if you give it all up and have an eternity in heaven, which is better? Well, I think we're all would say which one's better. Bill Gates can, and I don't know. Bill Gates might be a Christian for all I know anymore. I don't really know much about him, but, but um, uh, you know what? He, he, other people can have that money. That's fine. You know, in Romans chapter two, verses five through eight, it says, "But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each one according to his works. To those who by patience and well doing seek." For glory and honor and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, there will be wrath and fury. And so you see, we're all headed for the day that Jesus talks about when he is going to come with his angels and he's going to sit in judgment on mankind. And we're going to be judged according to what we have done, according to our works, which is going to boil down pretty simply to this according to whether or not we followed Christ. Now, at this point, I'm sure you're asking the question, now wait a minute, aren't we saved by faith? Absolutely you're saved by faith. There isn't in anybody that's saved in the whole history of the world that was saved any other way than by faith, Old Testament or New. Aren't we saved by grace? Absolutely. But you know what? Just as James makes the argument in his epistle that there is no faith that is separated from works. In other words, if you have faith, you will work. You will follow. You will Take up your cross. You will serve. As James would tell his readers, if you, you say, one will say, I have faith. The other one will say, I have works. He said, let me show you my faith with my works. Because works are the outpouring of our faith. You look at Hebrews chapter 11. shows you a whole list of people that did amazing things in their life. Some of them overcoming obstacles and enemies. Some of them enduring suffering. And he says, all of this was accomplished through faith. Well, that's exactly what Jesus is calling for. He's calling for people that truly believe. Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Peter's going to have a couple big bumps in his life, but he will lay down his life for that Christ. He will take up his cross because his faith is genuine. His faith is real. The cost of not following Christ is even higher. And then the last point that Jesus brings up is that the reward for following Christ is great. And so it's really simple. When you look at the logic, Jesus is saying, here's my cost of discipleship. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That's a huge price, no doubt about it. But what do you have if you don't follow me? You lose everything. The cost of not following Christ is even greater. The reward for following me is astronomical. The reward for following Christ is awesome. He says, I'm going to come and sit and I'm going to reward each person according to what they've done. So as we've lived out a life of faith, we're going to be rewarded for that life of faith. And that's going to be an awesome thing. Romans 8 uh, points to in verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that is to be revealed in us. The Apostle Paul was going through a whole bunch of suffering, and he says, when I put the suffering on this side of the scale, and I put all the things that God is going to give me in in the future on this side of the scale, it's not even close. Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, the Apostle Paul looked at his past life, and he says, this is who I was. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, so he's of the chosen people, of the tribe of Benjamin, 
a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. So he was a religious leader. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. The Apostle Paul, earlier in his life, was a religious leader. He was powerful. He had prestige. He had influence. He had position. He had fame. All of it. He was climbing the ladder, and he was already quite a ways up it. That's what he had in his life before coming to Christ. As we read on from there, it says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. And be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. So in this passage, he's saying, look what I had before I came to Christ. I had power, influence, prestige, position. I was in a great position. But he said, I counted it all garbage. I threw it all away. I denied myself. Why? To have Christ. Now, what did he get in Christ? He used to be the persecutor of the church. Now he's the persecuted. He used to be the hunter, hunting down Christians, trying to get rid of them. Now he's the hunted. As we look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, these were his experiences. It says, With far greater labors, far more imprisonments, and countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the forty lashes, lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship, through many a sleepless night, in hunger and in thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. So the Apostle Paul says, this is my life since I trusted in Christ. So I had all the climbing the ladder before I knew Christ. I gave all that up for Christ. And this is my life ever since. I'm being hunted. I'm being chased. I'm being beaten, imprisoned, stoned. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, he's writing his last recorded words to Timothy. Remember, we already looked at the beginning of 2 Timothy where the Apostle Paul said, be willing to suffer. Don't be ashamed. He says in chapter 4, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. The departure he's talking about is his death. He knows that he doesn't have long. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Now the point that I'd like you to draw from all of this is that we see the Apostle Paul was the up-and-comer. Before he came to Christ. And then he came to Christ and his life consisted of picking up his cross and following Christ, suffering. And then we see him at the end of his life, still in prison, knowing that he's about to be put to death, which will be the last of his suffering. And what does he say? No regrets. He's saying, I've done it. I fought the good fight. I I ran my race. I kept the faith. And though it has cost me all of this, He says, who cares? You know what I'm going to? I have a reward that so far surpasses anything that's been done to me. And a lot has been done to him. He says, looking at the trade, they aren't even comparable. He would clearly have paid it all over again. Gone through all that suffering all over again. Because he knows of the reward that's ahead of him. 
He knows the eternity that he's going to have with Christ. So as we look at this call to discipleship and wanting to be selfless disciples ourselves, these are the things that we need to keep in mind. The cost of discipleship is high. There's going to be times where you're going through anxiety. There's going to be times when you're suffering at the hands of other people, unjustly so. But that's okay. Same things happen to Jesus. The cost of not following him is far greater. Would you really give up your, would you really take a, a, a life of pleasure and ease now for hell? But you know what? So far greater than all of it is the reward that we're going to receive from the hand of God as we pass on from here and into eternity. And our life as it continues on from here is so much longer than it is here. And in Christ, it's going to be so much better than it is here, no matter whether you have it very great or very poorly. 